Thanks, Patrick. And I think we're going to welcome to the pulpit now or to the communion table, Ariel Mate. Ariel. But there are lots of big smiles here in the sanctuary and I imagine on Zoom as well. So thank you for your message about Earth Day and Earth Care. God is indeed awesome. And we are full of love and appreciation for the wonders of God's creation. Friends, will you join me in prayer? God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, that we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning, we are going to be reading Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. But let me orient you to this particular story before we read the text because we're dropped right in the middle of the action. In Acts chapter three, the author describes the healing of a crippled man. Now he recounts the story in a matter of fact way, but records the crowds who witnessed the healing were amazed, utterly amazed. Now Peter, who's present with them and heals the man, directs the crowd's attention away from the healed man and any attribution of his own power, but instead boldly claims that it was through Jesus's name and all that Jesus had done in his life, in his ministry, and his resurrection, together with the faith that comes through him, which healed the man. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, his power, the Holy Spirit, that healed this man and allowed him to walk. It was not the power of Peter or John. Now, after Peter preached this sermon and the conversion of thousands, that ultimately caused the religious authorities to question them and arrest them. So our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of God. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day because it was evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly royal family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today, because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man standing before you in good health is due to the good name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among mortals 
by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Friends, we celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this first wave of persecution of the early disciples was initiated by the Sadducees. Now, if you recall, the Sadducees were trained in theology and philosophy. They were part of the ruling class of wealthy aristocrats. They came from families of noble birth. Politically ambitious, they ingratiated themselves with the Romans and they followed a policy of collaboration. They were the powerful religious rulers. They were the religious authorities. They maintained religious control. They were in charge of the central institution that administered God's law and they liked the power and they liked the influence that they held. And they did not like when their power, when their control and when their authority was threatened. The Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, they rejected all notions of life after death. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or eternal punishment and reward. They believed God to be utterly remote, a kind of hands-off being. And they believed that humans, every person, had free will and therefore was responsible for the events of their lives. Any misfortune, any sickness, any poverty, it was the individual's responsibility or fault. Therefore, the Sadducees saw the apostles who taught differently. They saw the apostles, these followers of Christ. They saw these apostles who were usurpers of their power and authority as agitators and heretics, disturbers of the peace and enemies of the truth. Enemies of their truth. The Sadducees are greatly disturbed by what is happening for a number of reasons. First of all, Peter and John were teaching people, though Peter and John weren't really known to them. Now, they expected a teacher to be a formally educated person with credentials, having official and formal rabbinic training. Peter and John didn't go to school. And more disturbing for the Sadducees, is that Peter and John were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, who had been executed as a blasphemer. But if Jesus was resurrected, as Peter and John were preaching, and the Sadducees deny resurrection, then they are being exposed as false teachers. Once again, their religious authority is being undermined. Peter and John, in their preaching and teaching about the powerful name of Jesus, Peter and John, in their preaching and teaching about the resurrection, were subverting their power and authority. And not surprisingly, they wanted to reassert their control and restore the balance of power. 
And so led by the captain of the temple guard, they seized Peter and John and put them in jail to await trial the next day. No doubt, Peter and John had a rough night. Imagine for a moment how they might have felt. Remember at the time of Jesus' arrest that Peter denied Jesus, afraid that he too would suffer the same fate as his Lord. Annas and Caiaphas were both prominent figures in the trial and condemnation of Jesus. In the dark of the night, waiting for the rulers or for the Sanhedrin to convene, it would have been understandable if Peter succumbed to his fear. Memories of Jesus's trial must have flooded the apostles' mind. Was history to repeat itself? Were they to suffer the same fate? Would they too be handed over to the Romans to be crucified? The next morning, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish civil and religious court in the land. Rulers, elders, and scribes referred to the members of the Sanhedrin, of which there are probably about 70. The Sanhedrin con con convened in a semicircle and people appearing before the court would stand in the center. Council members would be seated in elevated seats, looking down literally on those below them. And the people being examined would stand and face their accusers. However, there is no specific charge in this trial. Using their best intimidation tactics, the council instead demands an answer. By what power or by what name did you do this? Now notice they did not deny that a miraculous healing had taken place. The man who had been healed was there for all to see as a testament to this miracle. But they do recognize the power of Jesus's name. They recognize the inherent power of the divine. And so they challenge Peter and John, how could they, ordinary men, do what so clearly has been done? After a night of imprisonment, would Peter deny Jesus again? Would he bow under pressure and recant? He did not. Peter is done denying Jesus Christ. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he boldly responds, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now here, Peter introduces the word sozo, a word with two meanings. It can mean healed, yes, but can also mean saved. The lame man was healed physically, but in the New Testament, sozo more often is used to refer to spiritual salvation, an act reserved for God. Peter reminds the council that the formerly man, lame man is standing in their midst, 
proof of Jesus's power to heal and Jesus's power to save. He views one man's physical cure as a picture of spiritual salvation, which is offered to all in Christ. This man has been healed, saved, but it was not to the power of Peter or John. It is to the powerful name of Jesus Christ that had done it. It's to the powerful act of the Holy Spirit. Peter quotes from Psalm 118. Now in biblical times, a cornerstone was used as the foundation upon which a building was constructed. Once in place, the rest of the building would conform to the angles and to the size of the cornerstone. And if that cornerstone was removed, the entire structure built upon it would collapse. Jesus Christ as a cornerstone is vital to God's plan to redeem all people. Jesus Christ as a cornerstone is vital to be the foundation of the church, which he has built. Now the Sanhedrin expected these men to cower and to collapse under pressure, under these intimidation tactics. But instead, again, friends, the council was amazed at Peter and John's boldness, especially since they were uneducated, untrained men. But the boldness of Peter and John reminded them of the boldness of Jesus Christ, who also was not trained in their rabbinic schools. They recognized it was not the education or status or accreditation of these men that made them so bold. What they recognized and what they knew about Peter and John is that they were close companions of Jesus Christ. They had walked alongside him, developing a deep relationship as his close companions, his intimate friends. They had seen and heard Jesus preach and pray. They had witnessed Jesus's acts of compassion. They watched him heal bodies. They watched him save lives. In fact, Peter and John's own lives had been transformed by their relationship with Jesus. Their authority, once again, was tied directly back to Jesus's authority. Peter was filled with the spirit, the same spirit, friends, the same spirit that is offered to you and to me. Now, the early disciples experienced opposition and persecution as they disrupted power, structures of power and authority. Now, for many of us here today, in person or online, persecution is a foreign idea. However, if we haven't experienced persecution firsthand, our lives are still to be determined to be faithful to Jesus Christ in all circumstances. We are one body, and when one member suffers, we all suffer. Another trial that we have been watching today in our news is around Derek Chauvin. Following the verdict this past week, Russell Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention wrote this. One of the reasons that this trial has captured the attention of the world is that it is not an isolated incident. 
We have seen in our history the ways in which over and over again, authority has been used not to provide justice, but to deny it. Our structures and our systems, of course, belong to us. For them, we are accountable. And we might not know how to fix everything, but we do know where we can start. And we must. That will require long and hard work in our calling and long and hard work for the church of Jesus Christ to bear another's burdens with white Christians standing with their African-American and other minority brothers and sisters. When one part of the body of Christ suffers, we all do. In fact, if we are joined together as brothers and sisters, if we belong to one another, we should act like it. What do we do when we're confronted with injustice? We are called to be spiritually bold like Peter and John. The Greek term translated bold or boldness means candor in the face of opposition. So here is both a model for us and a set of challenges for us. We are to engender a bold and sincere confidence in the gospel in which we believe because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we are being transformed every minute, every day into his likeness. We are to be bound together as brothers and sisters as the body of Christ. We are to be motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, the last words that Jesus said to his disciples before returning to God were these. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You. Actually, it's plural. You all. You all will be my witnesses, he said. Tell my story of compassion and grace and love. Tell my story of salvation and wholeness and healing. Tell my story of how I welcomed sinners and ate with outcasts. Tell my story about justice and mercy. Tell my story that death does not have the last word. Tell that story. That was Jesus's last words to the first disciples, but they are also Jesus's words to us. Who are we as Christians? What is our identity as followers of God? In this Easter season, we recognize that Christians are Easter people. Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, defines who we are. The reality of the resurrection, which the Sadducees denied, means, using the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, that goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. This truth defines us, gives us hope, and brings meaning to our lives for we are Easter people. We are followers of Jesus Christ, he who conquered death and calls us to be his body here on earth. Here's the thing, friends. 
We can be known as Easter people who are empowered by his spirit and have courage to walk in bold faith and confidence assurance. God wants to use our ordinary and unlikely lives to accomplish his purpose on earth. He will qualify and equip us to do what he has called us to do and to go where he has called us to go. We need to be bold and to build our lives on the cornerstone of our faith and conform the angles of our lives to Jesus. We need to be bold and live out our faith openly before others. We need to be bold and challenge institutions of power and authority that oppress our brothers and sisters. We need to be bold and love God more than any other. We need to be bold and love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to be bold and open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's power in our life. We need to be bold and we need to be transformed. And thanks to the power of Jesus Christ, we can be. Amen.